0: Thanks for listening to this Waterstone message. Here at Waterstone, our mission is to advance God's kingdom to God's glory. We hope this message challenges and encourages you, and we would love to see you at one of our services on Saturday evenings at 5.30 or Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.30. Our sermon uh, today, our message is uh, having to do with the creation account, with who human beings are. Made in the image of God. And part of that image, as we'll hear, is about being friends. God, We're made by friends, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to be a friend. But sometimes (laughs) the church is the hardest place to find friends and be friends. Not only because we have massive crowds like this, but sometimes at church it's more about image projection and not really being transparent so we thought it'd be great to have a a stoner a a psychologist um, our own Dr. Beth DeWeese come and acknowledge sometimes the loneliness and the pain of friendship at Waterstone and in most churches as well as to pray over us as we hear God's word together so Beth would you come
1: thanks Thanks, Larry. As I said in last service, this is now only the second time I've ever been referred to as a stoner, so um, that is what it is. Um, (laughs) So it's nice to be with you this morning. What I know is that every one of us in this room could probably share a personal story about experiencing loneliness or anxiety or depression in some area of our life. I know for me, when I was a brand-new mom of twins, and I was sitting one night feeding them in a dark room, and I would just—I was experiencing these waves of acute loneliness washing over me. And I thought I should feel whole, and I should feel fulfilled, and I didn't. And I, all I felt was lonely, and I felt really ashamed of my loneliness. The truth is that emotional pain is tough. It is hard to tolerate and attend to something that we can't really see or touch. We only feel it subjectively. And it is often difficult to find and hold on to God's truth in the, midst of our, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our emotional pain. And many of us, and maybe most of us, were never really taught how to honor our emotions as a God-given way that we were created to live in this world. Walking into church today, I would imagine for some of you, it could trigger or amplify feelings of anxiety or loneliness and depression. Everyone looks so great. Everyone looks connected and happy. It's really easy to believe the illusion that says, I'm different, I'm flawed, I'm broken, and they are not. The truth is that you are not alone. We all know what it's like to feel hurt and to feel pain. We all have felt, at some point in our lives, afraid or sad or lonely. The truth is that it takes a whole lot of courage on days like that to come in these doors and sit in these seats, when we're feeling our most vulnerable emotionally, when we're feeling that struggle the most. It takes a lot of courage. And the truth is also that the church is a really hard place to show up and be open and honest and transparent. Even though we, we value those things, it's really hard to be broken and messy in the midst of that because what we really need when, we, when we're hurting is a safe place where we feel known and we feel held, and a big group of people is a hard place to do that. So while we at Waterstone value openness and honesty and transparency, it's really hard to do that. Some of us, and maybe many of us, maybe most of us, have a loved one, a family member, a friend, um, a child, who struggles with crippling anxiety or unexplained depression. And it is really easy, or actually we know intimately the feelings of powerlessness and desperation when our prayers seem to go unanswered, when we pray for healing for our loved one and it doesn't come. It's easy to maybe think that God is so over our prayers and no longer interested in what we have to say. And when we are the ones struggling with those feelings of loneliness and anxiety and depression, it's super easy to get to the point of believing maybe we're actually being punished by God. Or maybe we've been forsaken and are no longer worthy of redemption and healing and recovery we may feel abandoned by God. But the truth is we are never alone. And God in all his wisdom offered us one of the names for himself, which is Emmanuel, God with us. So the truth is that we are never alone, even though our feelings sometimes tell us we are. I want to take a moment and just pray with you. Um, So will you please pray with me? Dear Lord... We do not claim to understand the complexity of emotional pain. It is so unexplainable at times. We do acknowledge that you are God and we are not. You see what is unseen. You know every hair on our head. You know when we rise and when we lay down. You know our pain intimately and you are with us in it every moment. In your Son, you showed us that even you experienced emotional anguish. And Lord, may we learn to bring our pain into the light of your love and your power, trusting that even in our anguish, you hold us and shelter us in the shadow of your mighty wings. We are not alone. And Lord, may we, the people of Waterstone, be a body that welcomes people's pain and creates safe and sacred spaces for it to be expressed and acknowledged and validated. In your son's name, amen.
0: Amen. Thanks, Beth. Thanks for praying prophetically. Welcome to Love This Book. We are planning to preach through the entire Bible in 2020, Genesis to Revelation. We believe that the Bible is one book about one person proclaiming one thing, the unstoppable, devastating kingdom of God. Last week, we talked about God, where the story begins, that God is the creator of all things, that he is the subject and verb we are the object, that he is the ruler of all things, which means we originate in him, we are owned by him, and we are accountable to him. Today, week two, we come to understand and see that God not only made everything that exists, but the pinnacle of all that he's made is human beings. We wanna talk today about what it means to be a human being made in the image of God. Understand, we originate in God, we are owned by God, we are accountable to God, and we are made like God. So today, just one question, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? God speaks first. We're going to read from Genesis 1, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then chapter 2, verse 15. Then God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not "'Eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, "'for when you eat from it, you will certainly die.' "'And the Lord God said, "'It is not good for the man to be alone, "'and I will make a helper suitable for him.' (coughs) "'Excuse me. "'Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground "'all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. "'He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. "'And whatever the man called each living creature, "'that was its name.' And flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. The word of the Lord. As we said last week, if you would like to read along with us through this year with supplemental scripture readings at our information barrel out in the hub, you can pick up this Love This Book reading plan. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? There are at least three answers to that question, which we'll talk about this morning. The first thing that it means to be made in the image of God is that we reflect God. We reflect God. God. It's in that word, likeness, often translated image, uh, sometimes translated similarity, uh, sometimes translated icon. But what it means is that God makes human beings, apart from all other pieces of creation, human beings to reflect the image of God. Now we get to some of this in our English uh, expressions, like he's a chip off the... Or the apple doesn't fall. Or that's a splitting, or is it spitting image? Google it. I did this week. You'd be amazed. There's a war going on in the language community. But it's that idea... That there's similarities between father and son, between mother and child, between the parents. And so in the same way, there's a a similarity, an appearance that is similar between us and God because God's put his image on us. So how, how does that work? Well, human beings, apart from the rest of creation, are able to do unique things that image God, like make moral choices, like... Have an intellect and reflect about the world and reflect about ourselves, like uh, be creative, like be relational. So all of these capacities are, are, are given to human beings, and in us expressing those capacities, we are imaging God. Now, quickly, two implications that uh, we don't have time to dig into, but need mentioned. First you noticed when I read that it said both male and female image God. That something in the female gender, something in the male gender, both of those genders, uh, our likeness are, are similar to God. Now, as you know, this is a cultural moment in our culture, this whole discussion about gender. And again, we don't have time to dig into it this morning, but it is a great opportunity for us to neighbor in our culture to enter this discussion of gender. And to help us do that, there's an event coming up you need to know about. Our own student ministries pastor, Elliot Campbell, on January 26th, during this hour, so you'd have to come to our 9 o'clock service or come to our booming Saturday night service, which is really growing, come to that one of the other services and then go to this at 10.30 in our activity center. Elliot's going to be talking about a theology of gender, he's going to be talking about gender dysphoria and why gender can be such a challenging issue, and then lastly, he's going to talk about how we love and serve and, and talk about the entire issue with friends, family. So it's going to be an amazing time, and we hope that you'll come. It's, it's a parent partnership, so we, hope all, we want all of our youth group parents there uh, for this discussion and how they can talk to their kids, but it's open to all of us. So that's the first thing, that all are made in the image of God, male and female. And second, you said it says, let us make mankind. It's the Hebrew Adama, which means every single person. We must talk about that for a moment. Every single person is made in the image of God. And it's that particular statement that makes waterstone and churches like Waterstone, pro-life. Now let me unpack what it means to be pro-life. Actually, not me, a man named David Gushy, uh, who runs the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. When we say Waterstone and other churches are pro-life, here's what we mean. All human beings, at any and every stage of life, in any and every state of consciousness or self-awareness, or any and every race, color, Ethnicity, level of intelligence, religion, language, gender, character, behavior, physical ability, disability, potential, class, and social status are to be perceived as persons made in God's image of equal and immeasurable worth and of inviolable dignity and therefore must be treated in a manner commensurate with this moral status. Pro-life. Every person God has made has value, immeasurable value, and we honor that in every person. Now, it explains some things about Waterstone and churches like us, It explains why we have ministries, and I got a list of them here. It explains why we have a a ministry called Golden Connections, which ministers to the shut-ins in our community. It explains why we have a food pantry, which last year you fed over 10,000 people. It explains why we do events like Feed My Starving Children, events like once a month nightlights where we uh, serve Uh, Families with respite care, those families who have children with special needs. It's why we support Extreme Weather Shelter Network this time of year for the homeless. It's why we support and are engaged in Royal Family Kids Camp to help foster kids from Denver have a camp experience. It's why many of us volunteer at Alternative Pregnancy Center for women contemplating abortion. It's why we have Surrendering the Secret, a class that's going on right now, by the way. You can sign up on our website for women. Or, 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 or men who've been involved in the abortion issue uh, and, and that trauma for recovery. It's why we do the immigration adoption that we do, where we adopt uh, legal or illegal uh, immigrants in our world over in Aurora to help them get on their feet and survive. It's why we have men who go into the men's side of the Jefferson County Jail each week to do Bible study. It's why we support and people show up on Saturdays with the HIV care link to help people infected with HIV who, who need to move to a cheaper apartment. It's why we at, at, at Waterstone support 500 compassion children. It's why we support open door ministries that help the homeless in Denver get back on their feet. It's why we support inner city health center, that inner city health clinic where we don't, there's no charge for fees and anyone who comes in gets treated. It's why we support here at Waterstone uh, any ministry that comes to us and says, will you partner with us to help us reach that segment of our population that's struggling? Do you know why we do it? Because there are no ordinary people. You've never looked into the eyes of anyone who does not matter to God. There are no mere mortals. Every human being made in the image of God has the seed of eternity planted in them. That's why we're after these things. Hard. Because every person you've ever made eye contact with is a piece of work. God's work. So if that's how we respond as a church to the theology of the image of God, how do we respond as individuals on a daily basis? Well, one way is that we realize the image of God in people means that we treat every person we come in contact with on an hourly basis as someone sacred. And so we treat them with respect, and kindness one of the leading advocates for helping us understand the image of God in every person was the late fred rogers presbyterian minister whose congregation was a pbs television a beautiful day in the neighborhood How many of you have seen the recent movie where Tom Hanks portrays Fred Rogers? It's not really about Mr. Rogers, it's about other things, but they use Mr. Rogers to minister to people who watch that movie. It's an amazing movie, I highly recommend it. But what I really enjoyed reading was an interview with Tom Hanks where he shares how being Fred Rogers changed him. He became Fred Rogers. He shares just one couple paragraphs. This was in the Denver Post, Friday, November 22nd. They asked him, what did you learn about Fred Rogers? What did you make part of your life? He said, well, he taught me to wait. W-A-I-T. Wait, got it? Say it with me. Wait, W-A-I-T. It stands, this is Tom Hanks talking, it stands for, why am I talking? (laughs) Hanks said, I wrote that down in a notebook. That I keep to remind myself that listening, for me anyway, is a disciplinary art. I have to force myself to listen because I love the sound of my own voice. And because I'm a movie star, I've been infantilized by everyone I come across who says I'm just wonderful. Look at you. You can stand up so good and you can eat with a fork. What a special, special movie star you are. <laughs> <laughs> wait. One of the most amazing things we can do to a person commensurate with the fact that they are made in the image of God is to listen to them. Listen. You know, as we go out of here into an increasingly secular culture, what we begin to understand is that in order for us to, to have voice, into other people's lives, we first need to build trust. And one of the primary ways we can build trust and relationship with people is by waiting. Why am I talking? Give people the gift of your listening. Start there and see what happens. So one of the ways that we practice the image of God in with one another is by understanding every person especially in rush hour traffic every person's a piece of work God's work but you know what else we need to do with this idea that we reflect God is that we need to practice that in our own hearts in our own lives because we find ourselves often thinking i'm nothing i'm garbage I'm worthless. And the reason those feelings hurt so deeply in us is because when we feel those feelings, we're scraping against the very foundational bottom of reality, the reality that God has made us. So we have these voices in our culture trying to speak into that. There's the voice of science apart from God. Science is saying, well, it's true. I mean, you're, abs- you're nothing. You're a piece of time with a name. When you're dead, you're done. Your worm food. Science is not a very hopeful uh, ambition outside of God. But, you know, the other side's true, too. Therapy without God says, well, no, you're the center of everything. And you need to do what you need to do to make yourself happy. Have you ever lived with a person who took that advice to heart? I mean, we're all natural-born narcissists. But have you ever really been around a narcissist unchecked? That's a rough go. No, God comes into this and says, look, it's not a, you're not nothing and you're not everything. Do you know what you are? You are made by me in my image, which means if you understand not who you are, not trying to manufacture your own meaning and your own joy, but if you understand whose you are, then joy and meaning are thrown in when you understand whose you are. And so we practice that, especially when we're feeling down on ourselves. That's when you need to dance with your theology, a long, slow dance. Get back to God and say, God, listen, I'm a piece of work. Your work. So, the first way, the first thing it means to be made in the image of God is that we reflect God in likeness and similarity. The second thing it means to be made in the image of God is that we're representatives of God. We partner with God. Did you see it in the text when there's this joy in this passage about God bringing the animals to Adam to see what he would name them? God just kind of saying, well, that's a good name. That's what it's going to be. I mean, there's this kind of joyful playfulness in this where God, in a sense, is delegating authority and control over creation to make creation flourish. He's delegating to Adam and said, name them. By the way, you know what naming is, right? Naming is an act of love. How many of you have named your dog you? Here you. You, come. No, I mean, you name your dogs, whatever you name your dogs, because you love your dogs. And as a parent, we know we name our children because we love, I mean, it's one of the most loving acts you can do is to name something. So here is God loving his creation. How? By allowing Adam, delegating... To Adam to name the animals, and I noticed in there there was birds and wild animals, all that. I didn't see cats in there, but uh, you know, <laughs> debatable. Uh, send your emails to Paul Joslin on that. So. <laughs> Do you, God delegates the rule of creation to help humans flourish, and to help the environment flourish. He delegates the partnership. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. In other words, if I could say it this way, being made in the image of God means two four-letter words. First four-letter word, work. We are made to work. And every one of us who works, unless it's illegal, contributes to the human flourishing of the human community and the environment. Whatever your job is. So we've done this the last two services. It's gone really well. And... um, so don't mess it up, okay? <laughs> work matters. You know, what we like to say at Waterstone is that we are part of uh, over 1,000 kingdom ministers in this congregation. Each one of you, your work contributes to human flourishing and the goodness of the environment. No matter what you do, every person is in full-time ministry. Every one of you. So we're going to just see what ministers and full-time ministry is represented in the room today. So when I read something that's somewhat close, genus and specie, to your job, stand up. Just for a moment, we want to see this kingdom force in our midst, all right? So here we go. 1,000 ministers of the kingdom represented at Waterstone. God wants his world to flourish, so he commissions artists, Engineers and architects and interior designers and graphic designers and cosmetologists and painters and sculptors and photographers and musicians. Stand up. You rock. Kingdom on. All right, next. He wants people and living things healthy. So he commissions nurses and nutritionists and therapists and doctors and dentists and chefs and food service providers and personal trainers and yoga instructors and veterinarians. Yes! <laughs> Kingdom on! Kingdom on. He wants people sheltered with provisions, so he calls realtors and bankers and salespeople Let me guess. Realtor. (laughs) (laughs) Dwight, where was I? Uh, Realtors, and bankers, and salespeople, and retail, and brokers, and financial planners, and insurance providers. Yes. Kingdom on. God wants children and adults shepherded, so he calls teachers and coaches and team moms and dads and childcare workers and counselors and government personnel and clergy and nonprofit program and grandparents. <laughs> All right. Shepherd on, shepherd on. He wants knowledge to increase, so he recruits Anyone in the IT world, students, scientists, writers, researchers, librarians, and postal workers. (laughs) Kingdom on, kingdom on. God cares about justice, so He enlists first responders and government workers and lawyers, (laughs) (laughs) lawyers <laughs> <laughs> and social workers and judges and soldiers <clears throat> kingdom on and God values order so he calls managers and accountants and auditors and administrators and stay-at-home parents to turn chaos into cosmos Kingdom on. And the last two services said that I forgot a couple of things. So, part of the image of God is being retired and volunteering. It's farmers and gardeners and plumbers and baristas and entrepreneurs and automobile workers and transportation world. All right. What did we forget? What would we miss? Who didn't stand? Electricians. Electricians. Jim, did you whisper that to your wife? <laughs> Electricians. But I said clergy. Yeah, yeah. Janitorial. Janitorial. Yeah, where would we be without that? Who? Energy workers, yes. Pilots. Pilots. (laughs) Yeah. Well done, Waterstone. What an amazing group of kingdom ministers we have here. So, first four-letter word that it means to be made in the image of God as he delegates to us is work. And everyone who works is in full-time ministry. Second thing it means is care. Care. Second four-letter word, care. Specifically, care for creation. I'm going to say something rather blunt, maybe controversial, and you have Paul's email address. (laughs) Every Christian follower of Jesus should be an environmentalist. Now, let me unpack that a little bit. First, Christians are environmentalists out of different motivations. We are not motivated by fear. We're not motivated by apocalyptic despair. You know what we're motivated to be an environmentalist? Worship. I'll get to stewardship, thank you. But worship. Because God made everything that exists and he's delegated it to us to care, it's worship. That's our motivation. We do it because it matters to God. That's why a Christian is an environmentalist. And we're to steward the creation. Now, there's room for discussion on the hows. And that's where your conscience comes in. You be, you be an environmentalist according to your conscience and where those areas are that God taps you on the shoulders and says, this is where I'm going to engage. So... You know, some of that is as simple as recycling plastic and and, uh, glass and paper, but also shoes and clothes. Some of it gets to, Christians are concerned about clean energy and and about conservation of resources and about climate change. We are concerned. Why? Because it's God's stuff and we're to take care of it. So every time we turn on the ignition, we realize we are putting toxins into the air. And so we ask ourselves, is this trip really necessary? Should I be driving by my side? I mean, it gets to the tension. And again, every conscience has a different level of tension. And some of us become activists because activists always are good at reminding us of some things we really should be doing. We need all of those voices. But ev- what is beyond dispute from the text is that every Christian cares about the environment. Do you know why? Because God loves trees. He loves trees. Now, we should love trees. Think about trees. I mean, we live under trees, unless you have metal studs. We we understand that trees feed us. We also understand that we would not be here alive if trees didn't breathe. Trees take care of us. But God really loves trees. I mean, he loves them so much, every birthday he gives them a ring for their birthday. You also go to the Bible, and guess what? Trees, after God and human beings, are the third most mentioned living thing in Scripture. In fact, they're mentioned so frequently that if you open your Bible on any given two pages, you will find something about a tree on one of those pages. God loves trees. We start out with trees at the very beginning of time, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life, more about those next week. But we lost the tree of life We lost the tree of life. And we know at the end of the story, as we love this book, when we get to Revelation at the end of the year, there's another tree in the city called the tree of life. It's the same tree, but we just lost access to it. How do we get from the tree of life to the tree of life? It's because a carpenter came. A carpenter came to get us to the tree of life. This carpenter, he was a tough man. They tried to kill him when he was a baby. They tried to stone him. They tried to push him off a cliff. The devil came after he'd prayed and fasted for 40 days and tried to get him to kill himself. But this carpenter was tough and no one would take his life from him. But he chose to lay down his life on a tree. A tree that had been cut down by sin. But as he hung in that tree, Jesus' blood turned that tree into a tree of life all who believe will live because of that tree forever with God. God loves trees. And so do we. So what it means to live in the image of God is that we represent God. And what it means to live in the image of God is that we uh, reflect God. But lastly, what it means to live in the image of God is that we are relational like God. So here's the thing in that creation account, it just blows my mind. God pronounces the benediction on all the days of creation, good, 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 seven times. And then the eighth time he pronounces the benediction over everything, he says, it's very good. And then you go to chapter two where we read, one thing is not good. And what's that one thing? Adam's alone. God sees it, Adam sees it. It's not good that Adam is alone. Now understand, think this through with me. The reason that Adam was lonely was not because he was made imperfect. I mean, Genesis 3 hasn't happened. The fall hasn't happened. Everything is very good, untouched by sin. And yet it's not good that Adam is alone. So it's, Adam is lonely and alone not because he's imperfect, but why? Because he is perfect. Adam is feeling his aloneness because he's the perfect man, which means that he and we are wired to live in community. I mean, it just blows my mind, right? Adam had 24-7 access to God, and that wasn't enough. If you're feeling lonely this morning, like you don't have enough friends, like you're struggling with friendship, two things. One, it's always good in those moments to check yourself. Am I doing something that's driving my friends away? I mean, it may be as simple as a breath mint. I, I don't know. <laughs> am I doing something, find someone, give them a hunting license into your life, and say, what kind of friend am I? That may be a starting point for some of us, but What I really want you to hear is that if you're feeling lonely and having not enough friends, that's not dysfunction. That's the image of God speaking through you. Why? Because we are made by friends. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit live in eternal friendship. They are the first family. They have always loved each other, spoken highly of each other, served each other, put the other above themselves. They live in an, an amazing community of friendship. And it's that community, God, triune God, who has made us. And He's made us such that we need friends. I mean, we see it in Jesus' life, right? Jesus, what's, what did he do to launch the Christian, the, the whole, to continue the kingdom and, and, and take it to the end of the world, this movement called Christianity? He basically picked 12 people and did a three-year camping trip with them. A small group. It's why we push small groups so hard here at Waterstone and see them as a primary port of transformation. It's what Jesus did. And you see it when he was in the garden, agonizing over going to the cross. Remember, he asked his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John, would you just stay with me? Would you pray? Now here was Jesus, the perfect man, needing friends. We need friends. We're not wired to go through life alone. We are wired for friendship. So God hears Adam and sees, and he responds. He gives Eve. He gives this called the helper. That word helper has been abused in church history to say that women are somehow inferior, and anyone who thinks that is way out of line because they don't understand the meaning of the word. They don't understand the meaning of the rest of Scripture. and They don't understand that every other time that word's used in the Bible, it speaks of God. But the idea there is that when God gives the ezer, the the helper, the word means one who stands beside, equal to equal, going through life together. The one who stands beside. That's the purpose of friendship, to stand beside, continually serving and reminding the other that they have a future glory self, that God's opinion of them is the only opinion that counts, reminding them of that all the time, and serving them. So, one of the ways that happens in a marriage or in a friendship is, and I want to remind you of this often, words. One of the best expressions of friendship and standing beside, and the image of God lifting each other up is through our words. Each of us comes into this life with accumulated verdicts, wounds, actually, of things other people have said about us. But even worse and harder are those things we've said and believed about ourselves. Into your life will come this one, a spouse or a friend, who has massive power with words to build you up, to remind you of truth, and to share God's encouraging words with you. The, The most important words are these that the only opinion of you that counts is God's opinion. And so, those of you who are married, what's your word count? That is, are you making your words count? Are you reminding your spouse that every day, the only opinion of you that counts is Jesus' opinion of you? And I'm here to remind you of that. And in your friendships, are you showing up for your friends, reminding them again and again and again that the only opinion of you that counts is Jesus' opinion of you? How's your word count? Are you making your words count? When Jesus comes to us later in the, love this book, John chapter 15, he comes and he says, look, you know that I created everything. You know I am the king of the earth. Then he said, Astounding, but I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. John 15. He is the king of the world, but the king of the world come down to stand right beside you and say, you are my friend. Have you ever had that moment in your life when you invited Jesus Into your world, that you wanted to become part of his story, that you wanted to become a friend to him. If you've not done that, I'm going to just ask that we all bow our heads. And in this space, it's as simple as Jesus, I need you. I want to be friends with you. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friend. Lord, today, may this truth sit deeply in us. May it truly affect the way that we treat other people. May you just give us this new lens to see that we've never looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to you because you made them. And would you give us this other lens about the environment and about caring for this beautiful world that you've made, and help us to engage there even more deeply than when we walked in this morning. And most of all, Lord, today, would you remind us that you want to be friends with us. You want to stand beside us and lift us up with your words. And so, Jesus, we welcome you into our life as friend. In your name we pray. Amen.